0: It's the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast, here we
1: go, with Malia Jacobson as your host. Hello, and thanks for joining me for episode two of the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast. I'm sleep and health journalist, Malia Jacobson. If this is your first time listening, you can go back and listen to a very brief two-minute introduction episode for a little more background on me and the idea behind Sleep Well, Stay Well. I created this podcast to share the guidance and advice from experts in health and wellness around some of the challenges we are all facing right now in terms of our sleep, our immune health, and our physical and mental well-being. At the forefront of those challenges is anxiety. In my last episode, Dr. Michael Bruce mentioned that anxiety is definitely increasing. He's hearing about it all the time, and it is affecting our sleep. So I'd like to bring in an expert who can help us navigate that. Dr. Michelle P. Maidenberg, PhD, has a private psychotherapy practice in Harrison, New York, utilizing cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, acceptance and commitments therapy, or ACT, eye movement desensitization processing, EMDR, structural family therapy, and mindfulness. She's a licensed clinical social worker and an adjunct professor at New York University and teaches a graduate course in mindfulness. She's a contributing blogger for Psych Central and a number of other publications. She is the co-founder and president of Through My Eyes, a nonprofit 501c3 organization that offers clinically guided videotaping for chronically medically ill individuals who want to leave video legacies for their children and loved ones. Her background in trauma-informed therapy makes her just an excellent resource for the challenges we're facing right now. She's a member of the American Red Cross Crisis Team and serves on the board of directors of the Westchester Trauma Network. Finally, she's the author of "Free Your Child from Overeating, 53 Mind-Body Strategies for Lifelong Health. I have interviewed her many times over the years for various articles, and I just find her expertise to be spot on. She's very insightful, and I can't wait to hear what she has to say. Hello, Dr. Maidenberg. How are you? Uh, How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing?
0: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Yeah, it's a little bit of a challenging time we're in right now. I think I could speak for everybody.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think you know, I was just checking back through my records, and I think you and I first corresponded back in 2014 for wow. an article. So it's been many years now, and normally we're um, talking on email, but I, totally under different circumstances these days, we're yeah. just dealing with something that's unlike anything else.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think what's so powerful about it, I'm going to say is that every single person at any age could relate to, I guess, the suffering and the concern and the fears. You know, we, we all come from a different place and space.
1: Right, absolutely. But we are, and we're all in this together, but we're all experiencing it in a unique way. And you're yeah. in New York, which is one of the areas in our country that's the epicenter, really, of the outbreak right now, yeah. I believe. Yes. I'm in Washington State, Um, which was another epicenter for a while. So two of the areas of the country that are hardest hit. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that both of us are kind of in the middle of a new reality right now, but it's definitely one that's being experienced across the country and around the world.
0: Absolutely.
1: So one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on is you are a psychotherapist and you specialize in anxiety, in trauma, in helping people navigate difficult times. So you're hearing every day about how this new reality is affecting people's mental and physical health. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about what people are telling you about how this is affecting their sleep. Yeah,
0: I think when we have, I'm going to call this trauma, um, you know, and again, I think the level at which people are experiencing the trauma varies from person to person, But it tends to kind of show up, I'm going to say, in different areas of our life. And one definitely is in our sleep. And the reason for that, which makes a lot of sense, is physiologically, you know, in order to sleep, we need to have kind of our bodies need to be in rest mode. And that's hard, you know, uh, particularly when we're so activated, you know, with anxiety or fears Right. You know, because this one thing about this that makes this unique, this circumstance is there's so much uncertainty and it's a it's really a circumstance that makes us feel a loss of control, an absence of control. So it puts us kind of in this position where we're activated, you know, um, we're in that stress response, you know, continually because of you know the fear that we're all experiencing. And, and, you know, when you're going to sleep, for example, when you're trying to sleep, right, and your mind doesn't rest, and it's very activated, and you're either overthinking things or becoming, you know, particularly anxious, it doesn't allow for those moments, you know, intermittently to just have those moments of rest where you could just let yourself be, right? And we know that that could be, you know, that could be, uh, and what also affects it, so I'm going to mention some other things, which I think are important, you know. When, you know, when we have elevated stress and we have an overload of information, like we're getting, you know, 24 seven, all of this information from the news and, and even children. So I've heard this from kids too, you know, both adolescents, teens, um, we don't know that they're hearing what's going on, but it's amazing because they're either getting pop-ups on their like PCs, you know, Um, they're either overhearing their family and parents, you know, or hearing it from friends you know, so they're still getting the, the information disseminated to them. And when our mind is racing, we have an elevated like body arousal, you know, and a response which which could trigger trigger, unfortunately, insomnia. Um, you know, and that's problematic, you know, for a number of reasons. One is because the best position to be in right now to fight off viruses is to be, again, tip top shape, you know, in terms of our physiological health, right? So we know that, you know, sleep regulates our mood. It improves our brain functioning. It increases our energy, our productivity. Um, And when we're not sleeping, it could definitely impact our immunity, which is problematic. Um, Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And some of of the other things, um, which I, I, I see comes up a lot with, you know, with people I'm speaking to, you know, it's interesting, we always try to keep our families and our children away from screens and ourselves for that matter to regulate ourselves. But because of what's going on, it actually requires us to be on screens more. You know? Um, so for example, if yeah. we want to social if we want to socialize, right. we have to be on yep. the screen. You know, kids are on their screens, you know, for online learning all day long. Um you know, if we want to kind of t- keep on top of the news, often we'll scroll down in our, you know, again, in our, you know, on, on our phones. Um, and the blue light from the screens, right, tells the brain to stop producing melatonin, which is our sleep hormone, which again could cause like trouble falling asleep. You know, and some other things, which I think is also influencing, is our structure, our nighttime structure. You know, I know, I don't know about you, but I know in my household, I have four kids. You know, the oldest is 19 and the youngest is 11. But my, the, our hours are like completely, completely out of whack. You know, my my 11-year-old. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. My 11-year-old is like going to sleep at like egregious hours, <laughs> 11 o'clock midnight. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. So our sleep schedules are kind of inconsistent and our wake up times as well, even though uh, and it's interesting, some kids are doing like online learning through Zoom and some are doing through Google Classroom. And um, I'm finding for those who are doing the, Zoom, the Google Classroom, they don't have structured times. In other words, they kind of make up their own times when they go on and off to do their work. Um, right. So they could choose to wake up late. And obviously, most do, <laughs> I'm going to say. Um, so again, there's less, pre- pre- you know, predictability with, you know, with sleep schedules. And then another last thing, which I'm finding, of course, like we talked about anxiety, but there's also, you know, there's also depressive symptoms that people are having, you know, right. Absolutely. Yeah, which, you know, leads to kind of like hopelessness or helplessness. Um, You know, feeling pretty lethargic and like a lack of energy, you know, and that's going to also impact, you know, sleep because I'm finding a lot of people are taking naps during the day, um, which usually, you know, hasn't happened before. Um, And when you you're taking kind of a prolonged nap after 2 p.m., it definitely impacts on your sleep as well.
1: Yes a hundred percent and that was the topic of my first episode was sleep schedules and sleep routines mm-hmm. and naps and this all this change that we are dealing with because that is something that no matter how you're experiencing this um, reality that we're in it's it's changed there's a lot of change that we're processing and it's scheduled change and that is so difficult to deal with on our systems particularly our circadian rhythm and our mm-hmm. our sleep, and uh, which really thrives in a consistent model. So I think even people who are, you know, happy to have this relief from maybe their commute or, or the extra time that they have at home are not finding that they're more rested, even though they have more time or more opportunity to rest. Mm -hmm. They're not feeling rested because their sleep schedules are all, all over the place. So I do think that that's definitely something that we're, we're dealing with. And, I I think you mentioned a little bit of how this might show up for children in particular. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how it may show up in some ways that parents and caregivers might not expect? Um, Sure. Like maybe conflict between siblings or anger, mood, um, kind of if our kids are acting out, what might really be going on right now
0: yeah with kids you know it's interesting with kids sometimes they're not as you know verbal or expressive about their feelings because they don't make those connections as readily as we do as adults you know we're more sophisticated in that realm so typically when you see kind of acting out you'll see it behaviorally like you just mentioned you know and if you think about the worries we have as adults kids have similar worries you know they're sitting with a lot of worries so I'll mention some of them and then how, you know, just to answer your question, how it could impact them, you know, and again, this is both for kids and for adults, but, you know, the worries about getting infected, you know, Um, although kids understand that the likelihood that they're going to get like very sick, you know, or symptomatic is low because they're constantly told that there's still that there's still that fear. And they're also fearful of contracting it and then giving it to their parents or, you know, people who are at high risk. So that is definitely a fear. Um, you know, I think also just the loss of freedom, being able to come and go, go as we please, you know, kids innately need to be, you know, movement, they need to be out, you know, and it, it's confining. Um, I think also, you know, we're sheltering in place. And I think taking into consideration our space, you know, some people have the advantage of having a home where they have space to roam. And there are others that have, you know, small, small dwellings and their space is very, very confined, and that's really uncomfortable. Um, you know, and, and you know, I think I think also a lot of people are experiencing financial distress. And that could spill over too to kids because kids, again, they overhear things. We don't realize sometimes what they're hearing. I'm amazed. There's um, a client that uh, that I'm seeing. She's um, a high, you know, high school age, and both of her parents lost their jobs. And then on top of that, her mother contracted COVID nineteen. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, I'm deal I mean, uh, the stories that I hear, you can't even imagine. I mean, I, I if I I could sit here and tell you story after story that that are impacting kids and it's unconscionable, honestly. And this poor kid, like she's sitting there, you know, her parents aren't sitting and, you know, talking about, you know, how they're going to afford to pay for their mortgage and all of that. But she surmises that there's going to be serious constraints. And she realized like one thing she was telling me, she said, oh, my, my, you know, my brother is going off to college. How are my parents going to pay for college? And then what's going to happen when I have to go to college? You know, she innately knows that there's these issues. So, you know, bottom line is there's a lot of things to worry about. <laughs> um, and then the fact that there's this uncertainty. We don't know how long this is going to last. A thing that constantly comes up with kids that I'm constantly asked is a lot of them want to know about their summer plans. Like that's a really. Right.
1: We're dealing with that. Yeah. Too. yeah. They
0: want to know, like, because a lot of them go to camp or that, you know, to either day camp or sleepaway camp. And for most kids, and, and it's pretty it's wonderful. A lot of their camp friends are like the ones that they're really close to and they only see them, you know, during camp, some of them. So they really, really look forward to this time of being with their camp friends. And they're so anxious about whether they're going to have that opportunity or not. And also whether the school year, whether they're going to actually ends up going back to school or not. So there's so many worries. So some of the behavioral things, which parents should, you know, be aware of, Definitely, if you see a change in mood or irritability, um, if you see kind of regressive behaviors, and what I mean by regressive behaviors, it's behaviors that you would see, you know, when they were younger, or you would expect from a younger child, right? So it might be tantruming, you know, so you might not have seen that in your child for many years, and then all of a sudden, it shows up again. Or another one, which I see a lot, is um, clinkiness, you know? Um, you know, the fear when the fear kind of gets evoked, it could be like kind of crawling into mom and dad's bed at night, you know, or the fear of being alone in a room in the dark, you know, or any, you know, things like that. Again, going back to sleep, definitely trouble sleeping that definitely spills over, um, you know, reassurance seeking. In other words, they need a lot of reassurance, you know, whether it's validating their feelings right or or them needing to hear that you love them 10 times you know whatever the case is so when you see or like you said it could be acting out in a very maladaptive way which is like again you know siblings arguing with one another right or um speaking very unkindly towards one another or even being disrespectful to parents you know or Asking kids to do things and them being a little, I'm going to say, obstinate, you know, um, in their behaviors. Uh, So when you see any of, like, I would say, or even, you know, again, it's hard to see or notice when a kid's isolated because we are innately isolated. But I still think, you know, a lot of kids are definitely still on their PCs and, you know, kind of gaming. A lot of them are. Facetiming their friends, you know, a lot of them are going in chat rooms and other things. So if if you see kind of them isolating themselves, um, both from family members and friends, that's another sign. And all of those things need to be taken seriously. Um, so some questions that parents may want to ask is, you know, really just kind of checking in and you know asking like, how are you doing, or how is this impacting you, or you know, it's been a while. You know, you know, and I I could actually give you a personal example. My daughter, who's 11, she's the youngest of three, you know, of four siblings and she has three older brothers. Um, Lately, her sleep has been negatively impacted. So in what way? Number one, getting her to go to sleep. I mean, talk about an overload of procrastination. She will try everything in the book to not go to sleep. (laughs) I mean, it's. It's almost, <laughs> it's almost, com- it's almost com- comical at this point. <laughs> I'm like, hello. Uh, really? <laughs> the master. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and then once, once, cause I lay with her for a couple of minutes, I'll do like, you know, guided meditation or something before she goes to sleep, but it's amazing. She'll like, all of a sudden I need a drink, you know, I have to do this. I didn't do this. I forgot this, you know, I, and before you know it like literally, and I'm working all day. So I'm, I get to a point where I'm like, just exasperated, you know, I have had it. (laughs) Um, and, and I said to her last night, I said, her name is Cora. I said, Cora, what's going on? I said, lately, you know, you've been procrastinating more than usual. And I just noticed, you know, that you've been a little kind of clingy, like you've, you know, you wanting to be with me every second, what's going on. So Originally, when I asked her this, which was a couple of days ago, she gave me a very pet answer and said, I just want to be with you. You know, I'm, I'm with you more than usual. So it makes me want to be with you more, <laughs> which I thought was very sweet. Um, <laughs> right. But then a couple of days passed and it's just, it seems to be escalating. I have to tell you, you know. So I, I sat down with her last night and I said, come on, like, I notice. Like, it's not just, you know, procrastinating at night. I noticed that there's other behaviors, too, you know, where you kind of get a little bit upset, right? And you may yell, which, you know, usually not set off as quickly as you are now. What's going on? And she finally, like, actually, she came over to me and she said, I want to talk to you. And what it was, which is not surprising, and I'm so glad that it came from her, was, you know, she has some learning issues. And the structure of her classroom now is online, of course. And in, in her school, right. they, uh, what they do is they uh, interweave homework into the school day. So kids end up, end their day without having any homework, which is wonderful. But now they can't do that because it's online. So she actually gets homework kind of, you know, sent online. And then she has to sit by herself, which she's not used to, and do her homework on her own. And she told me that she's becoming increasingly more anxious about it. And it's starting to bring up feelings of, you know, you know, insecurity, like feeling she's not doing good enough job and that she's getting it wrong and that she doesn't know what she's doing and that she feels, you know, inadequate. And it was a really amazing, like bonding, sharing moment between us.
1: Right. Isn't that interesting though? I think my, 10-year-old is going through something similar with her schoolwork where all of a sudden they don't have access to the feedback that they had Mm. in the classroom from their teacher and from their peers. Mm -hmm. They're really just in isolation. And we think, you know, as adults, we go so seamlessly between meetings and Zoom calls and emails and phone calls. And we kind of, we've learned to work by ourselves and with others, Mm -hmm. but our kids dealing with this all of a sudden being alone and not having that feedback and my daughter similarly she broke down in tears last week or the week before last because last week was their spring Mm -hmm. break but she was crying she was saying mom I'm so stressed out about school Mm -hmm. and I checked in with her and her teacher said she's doing great Uh she's doing fine she's turning things in but she's not getting that feedback from her teacher she's Mm -hmm. not getting those little those are those smiles or those little encouraging words throughout the day from her teacher and so she doesn't know she's kind of operating in this world all of a sudden without Mm -hmm. that and and it does it makes her anxious like you said she doesn't know where she stands or or how she's doing
0: right and Um, and some kids need that more than others
1: right Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. yeah it's just the amount of change that that kids are processing just blows my mind right now Absolutely. i mean we went through um i think it was march 8th so second weekend of march things were still um you know events were still happening i think the la marathon went on thousands of people still gathering by the following week march 13th was my kids last day of school i mean our schools had shut down by then that's that's how quickly mm-hmm. things changed and how quickly they had to process everything. It's just, even though we're, even though this has now been a month since that Mm -hmm. date, it's, I still just can't believe it, that how quickly everything changed for them. And the process of getting up and running in, in home learning, it, it takes a while, you know, it's like you try something, it doesn't work. You try something else, it doesn't work. And then before you know it, a week has gone by, and well, be back at it the next week. So it is a process, and I feel like by the time we get it really nailed mm-hmm. down, the school years over. right. And it's like you <laughs> said, so there's a learn, there's a learning about- curve, but there's no time, you know. And I have to
0: tell you, it's funny because I teach this graduate course, right? So I also had to transition to remote learning after being in the classroom, right, at NYU. And like I was just giving the class before this, and I said to them, I said, guys. I have to tell you, I hope to be able to work all of this out by our last class, you know?
1: Right. (laughs) And that will be our victory. Exactly.
0: (laughs) And, 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 you know, it's so interesting too. I have the benefit of, you know, with my four kids, I literally have kids in all different stages of development, literally, you know, my oldest is 19 and he was, like, you know, about college students, he was literally ripped out of college, you know, and, and was asked to leave, you know, uh, his dorm. Um, and, and the school year just kind of going remotely. Right. Um, and then I have like, you know, a, a, an 11th grader, a ninth grader, and then my 6th grader. And it's amazing because they all had different transitions to make based on their developmental stage of, right. So it's been really fascinating, too.
1: Right yeah, they, they're mm-hmm. all dealing with, with something yeah. depending on what state of school they're in. And it's been different for my mm-hmm. six year old mm-hmm. too. Um, and so as we talk about kind of our, our schedules and our routines, I want to transition a little bit into one of your areas of expertise, which is overeating, because we know that mealtimes are one of the biggest things that regulate our body's circadian rhythm. So when we eat in the morning, sets our body clock for the day and helps really influence uh, what time we fall asleep at night, which is something that I think isn't necessarily intuitive, but um, our our eating routines are very important to our sleep and those have been impacted for sure. I mean, I can tell you, um, you know, my kids just constant access to the fridge and the mm-hmm. snack cabinet and um I think everyone, just from the people I'm talking to and the posts that I'm seeing on social media um, about people's eating, whether it's stress eating or or just eating at different times, people are cooking more, mm-hmm. um, people are experimenting, people are using things in their pantry that they've never cooked with. I mean, the change that we're experiencing in all of our lives is being reflected in the way that we're eating. Um, how are you dealing with that? How are the people that you are working with dealing with that um, can you talk a little bit sure. about that and i
0: think we also have to pay attention what you mentioned is how stress affects our bodies right so it, it right. definitely elevates our cortisol levels right which can which which increases yes. our appetite so that's real like it's not we're not making it up where if if we're feeling kind of right. hunger it's there's a reason for it because of our stress levels also and i'm talking about across the board kids adults you know um, and i think also you know, sugary foods in and of itself, you know, they generate dopamine, you know, and that's kind of a neurotransmitter that's associated with motivation or reward, right? So that's why we have like this kind of addictive, you know, type of reaction to these sugary foods. So I think it's a couple of things. I think the stress, you know, like we just talked about definitely contributes to it. And it's a lot of emotional and stress eating. Um, there's an acronym that I actually came up with in my, in my book, um, which is HALT. And, you know, some of the emotions that get us to tap into, um, you know, our emotional eating is like happiness and anger and anxiety, you know, and maybe feeling lonely or tired, right? So that's the H-A-L-T. And then even many people tell me this, that they're eating out of boredom, you know, that like you said, they're sitting around the house, you know, they kind of have moments in between just... You know, with nothing much to do. So they'll like kind of just open the refrigerator and graze, you know? And when we graze, it's taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that, not realizing as we're doing that, right? How many calories are going into our bodies. And I think the other big thing, too, which is very interesting, I find, um, and this is just because of the circumstance one is, um, you know, in terms of activity, like gyms are closed. So we have to make more of an effort to exercise. You know, so that's one. And also kids, a lot of kids who are sports oriented and are athletic, right, who are on teams, who are competing, you know, or practicing, they don't have the ability to do that either. Um, and I don't know about you, but here in New York, the weather has been the pits. <laughs> and I mean that, like, it's been cloudy and rainy and cold. You know, I, I look on social media of people like, you know, at West, and I, I'm like, gosh, if I'm going to be quarantining, like I want to be in sunshine, <laughs> you know?
1: Right. It is kind of a double edged sword because a lot of people are yeah. crowding into public spaces yeah. when it's nice outside. And so, but if you do have access to yeah. a yard and, uh, you know, neighborhood where you can walk, it is yeah. so nice. Yeah. It does make a big difference. And we had the the first weeks in March, man, it was dismal. Yeah. It was gray and rainy and like, are you kidding me? And we've had a great weather week this last week. And I think we're, we're turning the corner, but yeah, it does make a difference. And also in just kids' yes. motivation to get outside. I mean, it's hard enough as a parent. I feel like a camp <laughs> yeah, counselor. I yes. don't know about you, but it's like, you're, you're not only a, an, an educator supporting home learning, but you're also a camp counselor. Like, okay, everybody get your shoes on. We're going for a walk. Okay. Now we're doing this. Now we're doing that. How many steps have you taken? Um, to, you know, and like, by the way, that, that's,
0: um, you know, just that's not, that's not only access. to my kids. That's yeah. my husband too. Yeah
1: just saying. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because every, you know, everyone's yeah. going to feel better, um, when they're active and that it'll be easier yes. to get back into our the routines if we are mm-hmm. trying to, you know, to, to, to yeah, so for Some sure. of the other things, which
0: um, I definitely think because of the circumstance, which, which, you know, we may not realize one is, either we're ordering online, right, some people have the benefit of doing that. And some people are making fewer trips to the stores, right, because you don't want to be exposed. So we tend to get things in bulk, or we tend to kind of get things that we could easily access, you know, in terms of eating. And I think we're also having more formal mealtimes than, you know, typically we're used to. So like, for example, if everybody's home, you're more inclined to sit down and have a meal where. Sometimes it's kind of on the go, right? You'll grab something small, you know, and a lot of people, which I, which I think is a wonderful thing, too. Many people have taken up hobbies and doing things that they've wanted to do, you know, that they haven't had time to do. And a lot of that is baking and cooking. I hear a lot of people who are baking and cooking. And they'll always say to me, it's so great. I'm doing, you know, what I want to do. However, you know, the downside of that is like, I'm sitting in a house full of brownies and cupcakes, you know? (laughs) Um, so that's the other thing. And the, the last thing I wanted to say is our rationalizations. So one of the things that I, I always stress is that the thing that gets us caught up is our rationalizations, right? And people will convince me that there's no space between the thinking and doing like, I'll ask somebody, You know, when you kind of grab the whatever, what were you thinking? And they'll say to me, I wasn't thinking. What are you talking about? It was like zero to 100 in like a second. There was no thought. And when I slow them down and I get them to really process it, they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I did have that thought. And I did have that thought. And a lot of the thoughts, of course, are rationalizations for their behavior. So, you know, during this circumstance, the rationalizations could be, right, I have nothing else to do or this will make me feel better, or I need this for pleasure, right? Or I'll do better tomorrow, you know, or kind of the hell with this, like, you know, you know, the, the hell with the consequences or who cares, or it's, you know, it's the ends of the world. I might as well enjoy it, you know, or (laughs) yeah, I deserve this. Exactly. And that puts us into a spin where we're like, we're rationalizing our behavior. And then, and then the other thing too, once you're overeating or eating, let's say, a sugary food or something that triggers, like I said, um, people tend to have trigger foods, right? So I know for myself what those foods are. And I know once I've eaten those foods, I don't have to test myself out. I know where I'm going, <laughs> you know? Um, there was right. this is this was really interesting. Um, in Bloomberg, in the middle of the month, they did a survey about sales on certain products and they and it came up that popcorn sales were up 48% pretzel sales oh, were up 47% funny. and and potato chip sales were up 30% and that was compared to the same period last year isn't that interesting yeah
1: it is well you only i mean if you are mm-hmm. at a grocery store it's not very hard to see the foods that we're all stocking up yep. on it's the carbs the, those yep. are the shelves that are empty you can still get produce you can still get you can still get the fruits and vegetables and dairy for the most part meats if you want that and and if you try to go get some pasta exactly yes. you know bread yeah. that kind of stuff is just all gone so you can see the types of foods that people are stocking their pantries with and absolutely i completely can relate to that when our pantry is more stocked it's like there's mm-hmm. food available and that's what we're going to eat. And you just eat a little bit more because you. Well, have, and I think in, I um, think, in all fairness, so too, well,
0: I think we really didn't know where this was going to go. And there was so much uncertainty. And I know even we had this discussion in my house, like my husband, you know, came to me and said, I think we need to get like perishable items because what if the grocery stores close like fully and we can't even go to the grocery store? Like we need to have things right at our disposal. right?" So the things things that are going to keep are like pasta and those kind of things. I think the other thing too, is I think we, like a lot of us relied on takeout or like eating out, you know, so many families, and I speak to a lot of kids where their parents don't cook, you know, so they only know how to cook like very basic things or they don't really want to take the time to cook. Well, I think
1: what I think, some folks are also dealing with is the, the, just the added Mm -hmm. work burden of of the Mm -hmm. cooking and the cleaning up, just cooking, cooking, even a simple meal just creates an avalanche of dishes and more housework in a home where you have more bodies, more hours of the day and the added and, you know, the accumulated housework can feel overwhelming when you're already trying to uh, caretake mm-hmm. more people you know you're you're just doing so much more um as a caretaker that adding on those extra dishes is not yeah. appealing so it yeah. is easier to just eat mm-hmm. something up in the microwave or order takeout if that's available to you than yeah. than make something healthy that involves chopping and and you and know you, you know hands. some Definitely some mothers can...
0: some others said to me yeah. that they feel like short order cooks
1: yeah <laughs> oh yeah
0: Nobody's going to all eat
1: the same thing, right? So you're Uh kind of making, I had to kind of draw a hard line about, we are not getting out pots and pans Uh to make lunch. Like, do not cook a hot food on the stove for lunch. We can do sandwiches and salads and fruits and veggies. And, you know, we can do, we can do cold things. Just eat like you would eat during the school day. (laughs) We do not have to get out pots and pans and do a load of dishes just to feed Mm -hmm. everyone Mm -hmm. every single meal overwhelming but so we know that that kids and um well everyone but children are experiencing a lot of anxiety right now and we know how this is uh, this is affecting our eating habits so can you talk about some ways that um families and parents and and Mm -hmm. parents supporting their children can help to keep some of that stress and anxiety in check that don't involve
0: yeah i i think So I'm going to speak to just for, you know, a minute or two on, you know, food related and then kind of going into other things. Is that okay? Okay, Um, because I think I think that there really needs to be an eating routine and a schedule, just like we do with our kind of daily schedule around meals and snacks. And I love I love the example you gave, by the way you know, about the boundary that you set in your home, like nothing hot and on the stove during lunch, like dinner, that's okay. But lunchtime, we're going in another direction. Like that's, that's wonderful because expectations are laid out. And then there's not this kind of, again, everybody wants something different, right? And then it puts you in a position where you're like sitting there cooking for hours and hours on end. And it doesn't end because then breakfast turns into lunch and lunch turns into dinner and so forth and so on. Um, Right. And I think having, you know, stocking up on like healthy fruits and veggies for snacking. I think meal prepping is really important, you know, um, again, focusing on hydration, because even though, you know, we lose sight sometimes of our thirst and our hunger and, you know, differentiating between the two, um, you know, and also for people who need it, there's a lot of online support. You know, so to take advantage of that, um, there's a lot of online exercising and movement that you could do in your home. And and I, I even say, like, blast your radio and dance around the house with your kids, like do whatever, you know, it doesn't have to be anything specific, you know, take up running, go for a hike, you know, there's so many different things you could do, you know, take your dog for a walk, you know, all of those things. And snacks should really, if possible, should really be real food. You know um, what I did with my kids, and it's you know kind of a nice thing is, um, so you know during meal prep, like I'll have them each one pick out like for dinner, like each one will pick out one. We'll do the appetizer, one we'll do the you know entree, one we'll do the vegetable, etc. And I have a bunch of cookbooks, so you know everyone gets to pick out something different. And they're invested in it. So then we kind of shop for the those items, you know, we meal prep, like for, let's say the week or whatever the case is so that they get excited about it too. And that they're also, um, that they're also involved in the meal prep as well. Um, and then another big thing is not to eat out of bags, like during snacking. So if you have like a big bag of whatever to put it into like Ziploc snack bags, that's really helpful. I find that to be a really helpful little tip. Um, so in terms of other ways to cope, you know, in terms of eating, again, I can't talk enough about exercising because <laughs> that's, to me, that's like the best, um, antidepressant and anti-anxiety, um, you know, medication, I'm going to say, uh, to really start out there because it really, really helps both with energy, you know, and our cortisol levels, um, you know, both on a physiological and, you know, I'm going to say psychological level as well. And I think you could focus goals around that too. So that's a really good way to get people, you know, kind of doing things, something that's productive and helpful for them. Um, Creative arts, you know, journaling is also wonderful. And of course I'm going to say mindfulness. Like there are so many different mindfulness activities to do. So what I've been doing, um, you know, on a daily basis is I've been posting a little talk and then like a, either a guided meditation or a mindfulness activity. And then on the weekends, I also do it like more family activities, but there's so many different things. Like for example, one day I created stress balls with my daughter, you know, another day I was doing breathing exercises with my son, you know? So there's, um, there was one thing that I did with my 14 year old, like he's very, very much like, you know, if you ask him to do a guided meditation or something, he'll look at you like you have 10 heads, like not going for it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he's like, yeah. mom, you're, you're, like mom, you're weird. Yeah. Like, stop, you know, <laughs> go, go do that at work <laughs> anyway. So like with him, you know, the, the little video that I did with him was all about movement and he's very competitive. So I went on the lawn with him and I was doing like planks with him. You know, and I made it into like this competitive thing. And he was all, you know, he was all about that, you know, Um, the other day when it was sunny and nice, we went for like this hike and we explored territory in my neighborhood that I never knew existed, actually, you know? Yeah. And it was so beautiful. beautiful. Like there was, there was waterfalls and like a lake that I never knew were there, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So. I think anyway, and you know, here's another thing that came up today. I'm always looking for charitable things to do with my kids, you know, cause it's a good way to model for them, you know, giving back. And of course there's so much like think, there's so many things to worry about right now that it's also helpful to balance that with all the people, all the helpers and all the wonderful things that's going on in this world where people are so generous and kind and thoughtful, right? They, I want them to see that too. So, um, I gave I gave my kids this, uh, you know, it's kind of a page that says thank you around the parameters. And uh, I contacted this woman who's doing like this cute activity where she's bringing she's having kids decorate these thank you letters. And then she's delivering it to the nurses at our local hospital to say thank you for the work that they're doing. Isn't that so great? And she's also collecting money and buying a whole bunch of like snacks for them as well.
1: Yeah. So like, oh, that's
0: great. Yeah. Yeah. So there's mm-hmm. so, so many, goals. and, and yeah. listen, you don't have to wait for somebody to do that. Like you could spearhead that if you want to. Right. It's just being creative and like thinking right. out of the box, you know, and doing things where you're really thinking about, like, this is such a, an amazing time to really focus on our sense of purpose and our sense of how we want to be meaningful you know, right. and I feel yeah, like, absolutely. listen, we can take away what's going on and all the people that are suffering and the pain that all of us are going through, but yet intermittently we can have moments of gratitude and we could have moments where we could be giving back and we could really kind of look at the world in a beautiful way, you know, and I, I feel like for kids especially, you want to jump on that,
1: you know. Yes. I love that. And that is such a good example of ways that we can turn this into something that will be meaningful in their lives. This is certainly a time in their lives that they will never forget. And also be a time where there's a little bit more time for reflection. There's a little bit more time for gratitude and Mm -hmm. giving back. So I love that. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to no that we didn't I cover?
0: you know I I think that a lot of um, families and parents are not aware of how to integrate mindfulness with kids, and that's a little bit of a tapped you know that an area that hasn't been tapped into, unfortunately. Um, so there's so much information out there. It really just takes some ingenuity. I'm going to say, and and again, when we think of mindfulness, I think people confuse mindfulness with meditative practices, and they're And they're very, very different. Yes. So you could be doing mindfulness all day long and you could be doing it in your everyday activities. And I'll just give a quick example. Like, you know, sometimes I'll just walk outside with my kids and I'll have them just look up at the sky and say like, wow, like just notice like how beautiful, right? Like the clouds, the formation of the clouds and, you know, the sun shining through, and how we're just sitting, you know, how we're here, we're able to like breathe our fresh air, you know, like that's just showing them mindfulness that they could be in the present moment. And, and, you know, really, cause all we know, especially during times of uncertainty, all we know is what we know in the present moment is in the here and now and helping kids to get to a space where they could bring themselves back to the here and now in the present moment in all different ways is so invaluable So I just encourage parents, um, you know, and again, I'm always happy to help, um, with resources, you know, and I, and I, like I said, if you go on my Facebook page, on my Dr. Michelle Maidenberg, um, you know, posting things about all the things that I'm talking about constantly. So you could get some of that. And then also even do Google searches. It's so easy to find actually.
1: That was Dr. Michelle Maidenberg with ways that we can dial down anxiety and help our families stay healthy, calm, and connected in these extraordinary times. I love her point that noticing the beauty in our surroundings is a really simple way to practice mindfulness with our loved ones, regardless of how chaotic the world seems. You can do it anytime, anywhere. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end of the episode and for bearing with any audio issues. I'm recording from my home and my neighbor started a hedge trimmer, so I was literally walking around the house trying to find a spot that wasn't noisy and had to end the call kind of abruptly. And uh, just the many joys of working from home, as I think many of us can relate. If you do have a question about sleep or a topic you'd like to see on a future episode, please email me at malia at sleepwellstable.com. and please visit sleepwellstable.com for information about episodes and more ways to stay in touch. In my next couple of episodes, I'll be digging into insomnia, cognitive behavioral therapy, and the wonderful world of naps and I have a couple of great experts lined up. I can't wait. Until then, please sleep well and stay well. It's the Sleep Well, Stay Well podcast, now you know. Thanks for checking out the show.